Welcome to the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast, featuring the original hockey insider, Bob McKenzie. Hey, that's me, answering your questions on hockey or just about anything else, within reason, of course. If you have a question you would like answered, email me at bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca. And we'll try to get it on the Bobcast. We were a blood of wicked proportions, an accidental company. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 20 of the At TSN Hockey Bobcast. This one for Friday, June 15th. 2018, although I confess, taping this on Thursday, June 14th, and the early bird listeners will be able to listen to this on Thursday, obviously. In any case, it is the post-Stanley Cup final edition of the Bobcast. Congratulations, by the way, to the Washington Capitals, and for that matter, the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll talk about the Caps celebration and Ovi in a few minutes. Um, This is also the pre-NHL draft edition of the Bobcast and as everybody knows the draft is one of my favorite times of the year my favorite events of the year and much of this episode of the Bobcast will be draft related so we'll get into that shortly Uh, this is also the penultimate edition of the Bobcast and for those of you who have a very poor or limited vocabulary (coughs) Donald Trump um, this would be then the second to last edition of the Bobcast because penultimate of course means second to last so there you go. You learn something every day. Um, oh, baby. Uh, the end of the season is in sight. I love oh, baby, by the way. Um, if, if I remember correctly, in hockey parlance anyways, the oh, baby was really popularized by John Davidson. Now, John Davidson is currently the president of the Columbus Blue Jackets, chairman of the Hockey Hall of Fame Selection Committee. But um, J.D. used to be the unparalleled best color commentator bar none when he worked both for Hockey Night in Canada and then ultimately Madison Square Garden Network. And uh, in the middle of a game, he'd give you the old baby. And uh, so that's why I'm giving it the old baby right now. The end of the season is in sight. You know, I can almost see July 2nd from where I sit. Two plus weeks away. Um, If I squint really hard, I can see myself sitting on the dock. If I listen very carefully... I can hear the sound of the loon on Balsam Lake calling my name. And and also the whirring of the margarita machine up at the cottage, having uh, the frozen margarita mix, getting it going. And uh, you, I mentioned earlier, we saw how Alexander Ovechkin and the Capitals have celebrated the Stanley Cup win. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Um, crazy stuff. And I know now some people are even upset. Oh, he's too drunk. He's having too much fun. Um, listen, it's all, all good fun. So long as no one loses an eye is my attitude. And basically the reason I don't have a problem with Ovechkin celebrating the cup win, the way that he's been celebrating the cup win is that's pretty much how I celebrate the end of the hockey year, the work year. So, uh, come July 2nd, that'll be me in the fountain. Um, but, uh, in any case, all good fun, as I said, unless somebody loses an eye. And, and listen, I, I love my job. I'm very fortunate to have it. Um, but nobody looks forward to summer vacation like I look forward to, to summer vacation. I absolutely love shutting it down and not having to talk hockey, not to talk about hockey, not to think about hockey um, for a two-month period. It's, uh, 
It's absolutely fantastic. Now, I should also point out, because I love my vacation so much, I have a great irrational fear in my life. And that is, and I've, I've mentioned this before on a previous podcast, I believe, my greatest fear in life is that I'm going to die um, at the end of the day at Free Agent Frenzy. In other words, I'm going to finish my work year. I'm going to go through July 1 and, uh, and, and have all the latest and greatest signings in the National Hockey League. And I'm going to be hopping in the car and putting on Leonard Skinner, They Call Me the Breeze, which is my uh, going on vacation tune as I pull out of the parking lot at TSN. And that's when I'm going to drop dead. And uh, that's my great unnatural fear. Boom, dead, just like that. And the reason I feel that way is because I've put in the 10 months of work for the two months of vacation time, and I'm owed that vacation time, and I expect to get it. And the only thing that can prevent me from getting that vacation time is to drop dead on the night of July 1st. So anyways, um, and I should point out too that when I get these unnatural fears, quite often I'm proven right. And the most recent example was at the Stanley Cup final. There was quite a a summit-type dinner that took place. People can talk about uh, Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un or whatever his name is in in North Korea. But the guys from Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada, Nick Kiprios, uh, Elliot Friedman, Chris Johnson, David Amber, um, amongst others, um, actually, uh, we, we broke bread with them in a uh, massive uh, 12, 14-man dinner in Las Vegas. And it was, uh, it was quite enjoyable. Um, what we discovered is that, uh, and what we already knew, is that they've got the, the national NHL rights but uh, James Duthie's suite at the Cosmopolitan was far nicer than what they had, so I think they were envious. But in any case, um, we had a great dinner with them, and we decided at the end to play credit card roulette. And before we played credit card roulette, I said, I just know it. I'm, I'm going to lose. I'm, I'm absolutely, my credit card's going to be the last one in that bucket. There is no doubt in my mind that, uh, that I'm going to lose this. And you know what? I lost. <laughs> Came down to me and David Amber, and uh, and as I said, I lost. So um, uh, it was fun yet painful, and um, and so anyways. So when I have these irrational, unnatural fears of of something coming to pass, well, as I say, let's just say I want July one to come by and make sure that I get my holidays in. So uh, there you have it. So in the meantime, absent of dropping dead, it's uh, it's always good just to live it up, have fun, and uh, and the other thing too is is it's all well and good to look at two weeks down the line and say, oh, vacation, I can almost see it and taste it and smell it, but you got to stay focused because this is two of the busiest weeks of the year, and there is a lot of news percolating out there right now. Um, for for a hockey insider or a guy that chases news. This time of the year, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Now, as an aside, have you ever thought about the stupidity of, of that saying, shooting fish in a barrel? I understand what it is. It's an analogy for making for something that's really easy. So if you put all these fish in a barrel, they have nowhere to go, so you could easily shoot one. But let me ask you this. Who the f*** shoots a fish? Like it, the, the, the phrase should change to like catching fish in a barrel. That would make a lot more sense. But uh, in any case, um, I digress. Anyway, you, you get the point. 
the the point is there's lots of news to talk about, and so we'll we'll talk about some of that today. Now I should warn you up front that um, I'm going to probably be sputtering and hacking and sneezing and wheezing and blowing my nose all the way through this thing. I'm I want to say I'm sick as a dog, but um, not not feeling great. Uh, got sick at the Cup final. Um, by the way, I mean if you take if you fly a lot in airplanes, I don't know how you don't end up getting sick. Air, airplane is just like a big, gigantic germ incubator. And um, it doesn't help that I'm already prone to sinus infections. I deal with sinusitis a lot. So anyways, and, and as bad as the plane is for, for germs, I, I have uh, no doubt in my mind that if the, wor- the world ever ends because of a viral plague, that kills all mankind ground zero for the viral plague will start beneath the urinal of a men's bathroom in an airport washroom. I mean, any, any person, man or woman who's ever had to clean a bathroom will tell you right up front that men are absolute pigs. And if you walk into a men's bathroom at an airport, I mean, it's hard. I want to burn my shoes after I walk out of there. It's just disgusting. So once again, I digress, like shooting fish in a barrel and men's washrooms at the airport. The bottom line is I'm not feeling good. I sound kind of crappy, but uh, there's lots to talk about. And first up, let's talk about the upcoming National Hockey League entry draft. Now, I spent the last week compiling um, TSN draft rankings. And it's it's mostly a number crunching exercise. It, it tends to be a long and tedious thing. You've got to interview um, the scouts. I've got a, a panel of 10 scouts that I talk to. I should point out up front, it, it's funny, um, the draft is one of the things I've become really well known for. And it's in, it's in large part because I really like it and enjoy it and uh, I have no life. But aside from that, um, you know, sometimes I get called a draft expert. I am the furthest thing from a draft expert, but I'll tell you what, I do have access to a lot of really good draft experts, scouts, and, and other such people. And so I I basically steal all their information and make it my own. Um, but I'll tell you right up front, I, I don't spend a ton of time out on, you know, scouting players and actually seeing them play live or watching video of them. I don't have time. Um, cover the National Hockey League on a full-time basis. Got a lot of things on the go. I pay attention to the prospects. I, I do watch some junior hockey, and I'm obviously at the World Junior Championship, so it's not like I've never seen these players before. Um, but let's not kid anybody here. The, the guys that, you know, the scouting services that actually go to the rink, guys like Mark Edwards or our own chief scout at TSN, Craig Button, uh, and the list goes on and on, you know, these guys actually go into the rinks and, and see people night after night to come up with their ranking system. I, I've i got a pretty good system that I use, but it relies exclusively on the fact that I have really strong relationships and trustworthy relationships with a lot of established National Hockey League scouts. So anyways, I've got this panel of 10 scouts. Eight of them, by the way, are in charge of their team's scouting, um, their NHL club scouting. So I basically talk to them and get from them, depending on the time of year and the number of players I want to talk about. Could be a top 50, could be a top 75. This year I'm doing, I did we TSN's final rankings as a top 93. 
So I asked basically these guys to give me numerical rankings for players up to about 75 or 90 or thereabouts. And um, I get all these numerical rankings and sometimes it's a range and sometimes it's a specific number. But in any case, um, I plot them all and uh, on a point system and basically rank them on total points and and then sort of sort it out after that. And you've you got to kind of do a little... Uh, massaging of just the pure numbers the the objective numbers and because there's outliers you know if somebody's uh, got a guy rated at 100 plus uh, and everybody else has got him rated in the top 30 that 100 plus number is going to completely skew the 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 average if you want to call it that and uh, so you have to you have to do a little bit of manipulation on highs and lows and outliers and whatever, but you, you get a pretty good range. And at the end of the day, I'm not doing a, a, um, a projection on who the best players are going to be. Again, those scouting services that are out there are ranking players based on who they think will be the best National Hockey League players. I'm not saying who's going to be the best National Hockey League players. The scouts obviously are trying to do that. But when the scouts give me their rankings, what it tells me is I'm making a projection on where in the draft I think that player is going to go uh, early first round, late first round, second round, third round, whatever the case may be. That's the forecast that I'm making. So we, we call it a consensus ranking where this player is most likely to be picked in the draft. And it's by no means a mock draft. Um, I pay zero attention to the order of selection. So, you know, I don't look at it and say, okay, well, Buffalo's picking one and um, uh, who the hell's picking two? I just had a, I just had a brain fart and now I don't even remember who's picking two. Carolina, of course it's Carolina. Forgot for a second there. Big lottery win for Carolina. Uh, in any case, so it doesn't matter to me that Buffalo's one and Carolina's two and Montreal's three. Um, I know that, the way things are going in this draft, that what Montreal does at three is going to have a large say on what unfolds the rest of the way. I understand that. But when I do the rankings, I don't take that into account at all. So um, it's kind of in a vacuum. And uh, and the, the, the rankings sort of speak for themselves. And over time, the, the proof, as they always say, is in the pudding. And uh, historically... The, the, the hockey news draft rankings that I first started doing in the 80s, uh, which have now morphed into these TSN rankings that I've been doing for quite some time, um, they're a decent indicator of where guys um, get picked or don't get picked. Um, but I will say this, and, and, and this is a, a phrase I've used before and I'll use it again, and it's one we should talk about for a, a few seconds. It only takes one. Should I get it printed up on T-shirts? Um as I said, we've ranked 93 guys. Um, there are going to be a number of guys, a handful of guys, maybe more, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe more than a handful, who are not on that list of 93 guys who will get taken in the second or third round. And a lot of prospects will look at this list and they'll say, where the hell am I? I should be on there. And that guy will get taken maybe in the second round. And he'll say, see, I knew that Bob McKenzie had no idea what he was talking about. He didn't have me in his top 93. And I got taken in the second round. And to that, I would say it only takes one. Now, I, I talked to 10 teams. There's 31 in the league. So there's 21 teams I don't talk to. Um, and even within the 10 teams 
that I do talk to, um, I should point out of the 93 guys that are on TSN's final rankings, um, every one of those guys had a minimum of three scouts out of the 10 that I talked to. Three of 10 scouts had these players in in their top 90. Um, there are a bunch of guys um, that from the 10 scouts that I talked to who got two teams with them in their top 93 um, and a bunch more that had one of the 10 teams who ranked them in the top 93. And in some instances, even even late first round, early second. Um, but if you're going to do this system and award points and try to come up with a consensus ranking, you can't take just one team saying that this guy's ranked 33rd overall and say, well, I'm going to put him, I'm going to put him in there because they, they may never get around to taking that guy and it, it would be an inaccurate system. So, but anyways, that I just wanted to point out some of the, the strengths and weaknesses of the uh, the ranking system and how it works. It is not a perfect system. It was never built to be a perfect system. And as I said, it only takes one team to like one player and that guy could suddenly become a first rounder real fast in spite of everybody's rankings or projections or ratings that are that are out there. Now, my slogan, it only takes one, also cuts the other way. Um, give you an example. So let's say I rank a guy number 14 on the, the TSN list and 14 picks come and go and this guy hasn't been taken. So I would call him when I'm doing the draft broadcast. This is my best player available, still available. Consensus best player still available. So the team at 15 picks and they don't take him and the team at 16 picks and they don't take him. The team at 17 picks, they don't take him and on and on it goes. And what's happening when the team at 15 doesn't take him you know, they might have had this guy ranked eighth overall in the draft, but guess what? The guy they had ranked seventh overall still available. So they like one player, one player in the whole draft better than my number 14 guy. So they don't take him at 15. And the same sort of thing happens at 16. They got one player they like better than my number 14 guy. So this happens over and over and it can happen four five six picks in a row and then suddenly your number 14 pick and we're now at 20 and we're 21 or 22 and he's still on the board and all of a sudden now it looks like a conspiracy theory now it looks like everybody's ganged up to say we're not taking this guy we hate this guy and suddenly there's questions being asked is he a bad kid has he got a fatal flaw uh, is it a size is it a skating no it's because it's because each of these teams, handful of teams, have one guy that they like better than that one guy. And uh, so there's nothing wrong. And that's that's how guys go into a free fall. And then afterwards, everybody tries to come up with all these rationales on on what fatal flaw this guy had that made him fall so far. And the only thing we know for sure is that when he finally does get selected, his team's going to say, we can't believe he was there. And they're right. They, they can't believe he was there. But uh, it's not because he's a terrible hockey player. It's just because teams picking like one guy better than him. Give you one more example of how this can work in the draft. I was talking to an agent about this. It only takes one concept the other day. And he had a client who was pretty much guaranteed that he was going to be taken by a specific team. So, and, and this team was picking like 14th or 15th overall. And so they were coming up to the pick 
and the, everything was perfect. The, all the guys, everything, all the pieces fell into place on the way to that 14th or 15th pick. And there was every reason to believe that this kid was going to be taken by this team at 14 or 15 or wherever it was. And guess what? They made a big trade for an established NHL player, and they traded the pick right before they were going to make it. And so the kid that thought he was going to go at 14 or 15 doesn't go at 14 or 15, and now he's back into the hopper with everybody else. And as it turned out that year, he plummeted all the way down to around 30. And and it was only because a team decided to make a significant trade for an established player on the draft floor. Because if they hadn't made the trade, they absolutely were taking this guy at 14 because they liked he was the one player they liked at that number. And all the other teams picking after them from 15 through to 29, they, uh, they decided they had one guy they liked better than this guy. So that's how easy it can all happen. So remember that one. It only takes one. Uh, get a T-shirt. Um, the rankings come out Monday um, at 12 noon Eastern time. I'm actually taping a draft ranking show Sunday morning, um, and then I'm off to Vegas on Sunday night for to get ready for the NHL awards and to do some more draft research. Um, and then the uh, NHL awards on the Wednesday night, red-eye flight into Dallas on the Thursday morning, and uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, the 2018 draft. Um, as I said, the rankings come out. They'll be up on tsn.ca at 12 noon. Um, I don't know if the full show will be up then or not. It might be. Uh, if it's not, it airs Monday night on TV and will be on tsn.ca for sure by Monday evening, but it might even be up there on Monday afternoon. Um, check my Twitter account for uh, for updates on that. Um, this is the uh, Rasmus Dahlin draft, obviously. Uh, no mystery. The Buffalo Sabres are um, taking him first overall. Um, and without giving away any of the uh, the final rankings, or too many of them anyways, um, there has been somewhat of a, a fascinating development, a trend, if you will, a change on on how this draft is, is, un, is unfolding in my mind. You know, all season long I've called this the 1-3-4 draft, and anybody who's listened to the Bobcast knows what I'm talking about. The one is Rasmus Dahlin. He's in a class by himself at the top of the draft. The three is the three scoring wingers that have slotted in behind Dahlin all season long uh, in the top four, almost a big four. Andrei Svechnikov of the Barry Colts, Philip Zadina of the Halifax Moosehead, and uh, Brady Kachuk from Boston University. Um, the four is the four defensemen that have come in at a layer that was separated from the three scoring wingers. Um, and that group of four includes Swedish defenseman Adam Boquist, American defenseman Quinn Hughes, and the two Canadian uh, and, and top Canadians, potential top Canadians in this draft, uh, Evan Bouchard of the London Knights and Noah Dobson of the Acadie Bathurst Titan. So, um, as I said, all season long, there's been that layering. Darlene at the top, then the three scoring wingers, then the four defensemen. And there was some separation between the one, the three, and the four. Well, I'm here to tell you now that that layering or separation has been completely and totally blown apart. 
Darlene, of course, is still number one, and there's significant separation there. I think it is fair to say at this point that Svechnikov has um, has has sort of uh, cleared a, a space between him and the other scoring wingers. He is the consensus number two pick in the uh, in this year's NHL draft, and he separated himself a little bit from Philip Zadina and and Brady Kachuk. And uh, it's interesting. Scouting is an interesting game because if you just watch the World Junior Championship and then you watch the CHL prospect game in Guelph, there's no way you would put Svechnikov ahead of Zadina. But um, virtually all the scouts I talked to have Svechnikov at number two, notably ahead of Zadina and Kachuk. So, um, and as I said, all season long, those three were a trio. So now it's Svechnikov by himself. And Zadina and Kachuk are no longer in a class by themselves. That layer of three did not become a layer of two um, because uh, multiple scouts have Zadina falling outside their top five now. And and I don't think it's because he's done anything wrong with his game. Um, But I also think that the centers and the defensemen have... um, have really stepped up over the course of this season and some pretty strong performances. So now we've got a whole new dynamic um, when it comes to trying to, 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 to layer this thing. And it doesn't layer very well because it's a lot more scattershot. Um, I think it's fair to say that the centers and, and by centers, I'm talking about Finnish center, just, just Barry Kotkiniemi. I'm talking about Sault Ste. Marie center, Barrett Hayton. Uh, the defensemen who I mentioned, obviously Boquist and Hughes, Bouchard and Dobson, um, but also some some other players, um, Oliver Wallstrom, uh, the Russian player uh, Kratstov. I have to learn how to pronounce his name a little bit better as I also scramble to make sure that I've got his... One second here, hold on, let me look at the paper. Um, but, 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 yeah, it's Vitaly Kravtsov. I had a little bit of a brain cramp on his first name. Um, but in any case, um, a whole bunch of these guys have suddenly become threats, very threats to varying degrees. I'll put it um, as top five guys, um, which is really sort of fascinating. Um, I can tell you this: um, the big Finnish center Kotkaniemi. Uh, got multiple votes in the top five from the 10 scouts I talked to. Uh, same thing with, with Noah Dobson. Um, I can say that uh, Hughes and Bouchard um, had more than, uh, more than one mention as a top five prospect. And that Boquist, Oliver Wallstrom, Barrett Hayton, and Vitaly Kravstov um, all of them also got mentions in the top five. It got a mention in the top five. What I can tell you is that every player in TSN's top 12 got at least one mention as a top five pick in this draft. So I think it's very easy to say that the one three four structure that we had is right out the window. And, and as I mentioned before, Kotkaniemi has come on really strong. He was fantastic at the under-18 World Championships in April. Uh, Noah Dobson really improved his ranking 
um, by playing right through and into the Memorial Cup. Um, Quinn Hughes um, did his ranking some uh, significant uh, um, help with the uh, his performance playing for Team USA at the Men's World Championship. I also think part of the factor why we're seeing things break down the way we have is that you know there is a little bit of a positional bias amongst the scouts. Um, for the longest time, it looked like those three wingers, Svechnikov, Zadina, and Kachuk, were clearly better than the next best centers or available centers or defensemen available out there. Um, but now um, those centers are are playing better um, uh, and and have played better and are more of a consideration. Um, so suddenly Zadina and Kachuk are not absolutely guaranteed as top five guys. Now I would. I would still lay big money that that Zadina will go in the top five and that uh, and Tuchuk is likely to go in the top five. But the notion of one of them falling out is not entirely out of the question. And as I said, that that final determination comes down to team preference anyways and has less to do with consensus rankings and more to do with mock drafts and such. And I don't do mock drafts. Okay, so let's get to some specific draft questions. The first one comes from Stephen McGilvery, and this is a common question I've been asked a lot on the Bobcast uh, email account. Hey, Bob, love listening to the Bobcast. Huge fan from Glace Bay, Cape Breton. My question is, in your opinion, who should the Habs draft? Thanks, Stephen McGilvery. Well, Stephen, um, in my opinion, I don't really care who they draft. I don't know who they should draft, but I, I will tell you what I think will happen or what may happen here. Um, as we mentioned before, uh, Darlene's clear-cut the number one guy. He's going to the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes are already on record as saying that they're much more likely to take Andrei Svechnikov than not. Um, and even if Carolina did trade the pick, I think the reason they would trade the pick is the team that would come into number two would still be interested in taking Svechnikov because he has established himself as the clear-cut number two in this draft. So Darlene Sveshnikov go one, two. The fork in the road, where things get interesting, is with the Montreal Canadiens at number three. Now, earlier in the season, I would have said, hey, don't overthink it. Zadina's your Zadina or Kachuk, you know, scoring wingers, whatever. I know that's not Montreal's need, but you've got to take the best player available. I guess what I'm saying now is it's not inconceivable based on the latest results of my uh polling of NHL scouts to suggest that a big center from Finland like Jesperi Kotkaniemi may well be the best player available. That, that's not a reach. So for Montreal Canadian fans, if the Montreal Canadiens were to take Kotkaniemi at number three, this is no longer an off-the-board pick. Um, this is right in line with, as I said, multiple NHL scouts have this guy in their top five. So I, I don't think it's at all a reach. Um, you know, could they consider um, Zadina or Kachuk? Or, for that matter, one of the defensemen that are out there? Absolutely they could. But I think the Montreal Canadian positional need for centers is so great that if you truly believe that Kotkaniemi is in the same class as Zadina <clears throat> and, excuse me, and Kachuk, then why wouldn't you take them there? Um, so we'll see. Barrett Hayton's also another consideration. Now, based on, on my polling of scouts, 
Barrett Hayton, who did get some top five consideration uh, in the polling. Um, I think consensus-wise, he would be a reach at three. So there has been that feeling or talk that maybe the Montreal Canadiens would trade back a, a number of spots. Um, and they still might be able to get a guy like Barrett Hayton. Or if they decided they want one of those big four defensemen and they felt like they could drop back three, four, five slots, get an inducement to do so and still come out with a, a, a really good prospect, be it Hayton or one of the defensemen, they could they could do that. So I think those are the things that are on the table for the Montreal Canadiens to decide. I don't think they've decided. Um, I know this is a big, important draft for the Montreal Canadiens. They've got a multitude of picks in the second and third round. And I know for the first time ever, they've actually, they're holding their own combine in Sweden for some of the uh, the Swedish players that weren't at the combine in Buffalo. Um, that's how important it is for um, for Montreal to do a real good job in this draft with as many picks as they uh, they do have. So it'll be uh, be interesting to see, Stephen, um, what the Canadians do and, and what they do there. <clears throat> Excuse me, I told you I was going to hack and wheeze through this thing. Um, what they do at number three in large part will determine a lot of things after that. And uh, other teams are curious as to what Montreal is going to do too. Next question up is from Dimitri, who says, Hi, Bob. Love the Bobcast. Thoroughly enjoy and appreciate the hard work and analysis you do throughout the hockey season. Never retire. Well, I'm going to retire, but not just yet. Uh, quick question for you, Bob. What do you think is the likelihood that Ottawa uh, gets the second overall pick, perhaps by packaging up number four and number 22, the fourth pick and the 22nd pick, with a player? especially with Rick Dudley's history of trading high picks. Dudley, of course, is now working in Carolina. I asked this given also Ottawa's recent signing of Aaron Luchuk and the chemistry he had shown with Svechnikov in Barrie. Assuming they can keep that chemistry, playing together in Ottawa might get Ottawa back to contention more quickly and would help Carolina with assets in a deep draft as well. I appreciate your consideration on this question. Um, first off, I don't think Ottawa is going to trade up. I don't think at this point Carolina is going to trade the number two pick, but you never say never, especially with Tom Dundon kind of running the show there, the owner, as well as Rick Dudley, who, as a previous Bobcast, outlined very specifically, uh, nobody trades uh, first or second picks overall like Rick Dudley. But um, I think what's more likely than tra Ottawa trading up is maybe Ottawa trading down. They'll at least consider that notion. But as I mentioned in, in, a, in the most recent Bobcast, you've got all these teams who say, yeah, we might trade back. We might Montreal might trade down a few spots. Ottawa might trade down a few spots. And on and on it goes. Um, and, and, and the rationale for doing that is because you think you can get a player at, at 6, 7, or 8 that's as good as 3, 4, or 5. Or... or you know, you can extrapolate it further. You, somebody at five, six, or seven might trade down to nine, ten, or eleven. The theory being, you can get just as good a player later and pick up an inducement, a draft pick, or a prospect, or something along the way to sweeten the pot for you to to do that. If that's the case, then what's the rationale for the team trading up? 
if if this is the type of draft where the guy at five, six, and seven is as good as the guy at nine, ten, and eleven, then why would the team at nine, ten, or eleven want to trade up? Well, they might have a specific need. I guess it could happen, but in any case, I think Ottawa is open to the idea of trading back a little bit. Um, but uh, uh, as as Dimitri correctly pointed out. Aaron Luchuk as the overage and Barry top overage in the CHL this year, fantastic goal scorer, and Ottawa signed him. Um, may need some time in the American League before he proves whether he can be an NHLer or not. But uh, he and Sveshnikov did indeed uh, play very well together in uh, in Barry. Okay, next question comes from J.P. Michaud. Hey, Bob, first of all, I am envious of your upcoming trip to Italy. My wife and I were on a cruise last fall where we visited Italy and Greece. It was absolutely amazing trip. Positano was gorgeous, and I'd love to go back to Rome. The Colosseum, Trevi Fountain, the Pantheon, and the Vatican, to name a few. Pictures just don't do any of it justice. Anyway, to my question, what do you think the chances are of Philip Zadina playing in the NHL next season? And does Halifax hosting the 101st Memorial Cup make those chances any less? Thanks for your time. Good, sir. Enjoy the trip. Thank you very much, J.P. Michaud. And yes, I'm also looking forward to the August trip to Italy um, with my lovely wife, Cindy. And uh, that's one more reason why I'm looking forward to, to vacation. As for your question, what do I think the chances of Philip Zadina are of playing in the National Hockey League next season? Well, I can tell you this. Halifax hosting the 101st Memorial Cup has no impact on it whatsoever. Um Either Zadina is ready to play or he's not ready to play, but there's not an NHL team that drafts him that will say, oh, you know what, he's got a chance to play in the Memorial Cup this year, so let's send him back to junior. Um, that wouldn't be the rationale for uh, for doing that. Personally, I wouldn't be surprised if Zadina plays, at least starts next season in the National Hockey League. I think he falls in the same category as Brady Kachuk and maybe even Kotkaniemi, Dobson, Bouchard, um, Hughes, um, maybe even Boquist. Um, and that is, you wouldn't know for sure until you gave them the opportunity. Um, so on Kachuk, it's a little more complicated because he's a college player right now. Will he sign? Will he not sign? We can get into that later. But um, in Zadina's case, I mean, if if I were to if I drafted him, whether it was in the top five or wherever, um, I'm signing him and I'm bringing him to camp and I'm playing him in the preseason games, and I'm getting a read on him, and I'm probably starting him and giving him the, at least the nine games to to see uh, whether or not you want to keep him around and burn the first year of his entry-level contract. That That's the determination that ultimately will be made on whether these guys are NHL-ready or not. And um, I can tell you this, that at the NHL Combine in Buffalo, um, of those elite guys, of those top six, seven, eight, nine guys at the top end of this draft, um, Zadina's testing was more towards the bottom end of that group. And I don't say that with any malice or overly negative um, because, I mean, it's not that big a deal. And in many cases, teams rationalize um, uh, if you if you get average to below average physical testing results at the combine, what it tells you a lot of time is that the player maybe hasn't dedicated himself fully to an off ice regimen, and and that's not unusual with some 17 and 18 year old kids. And what you rationalize and say is, well, if, if put it this way, if Philip Zadina is not as cut 
and athletic looking and as strong as some of these other guys. Uh, and, and he scores goals the way that he scores and he's as talented um, and he's as skilled as he is. Imagine how good he's going to be when he does start to, to get cut and to, to really take his, his strength and conditioning to the next level. So, as I said, I'd, uh, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't get nine games with whatever team drafts him and uh, how he fares in those games would ultimately determine whether or not he'll be in the NHL for the long haul next season or not. But he's a fabulous prospect and he's a fabulous release and a fabulous shot um, and pretty much as, as good a goal scorer as you're going to get out there. Him and Svechnikov and Oliver Wallstrom are probably uh, as good as it gets in terms of shooting a puck and, and getting it into the back of the net. The next few questions are defensemen related, and, and the first two of these are tied in directly, so I'll read them both. Um, the first one comes from Eamon Higgins. He even told me how to pronounce his name, although with my Irish descent, I knew as soon as I saw E-A-M-O-N-N that it was Eamon, not Eamon. Eamon! Uh, hey, Bob, uh, what are some concerns you're hearing from scouts about Evan Bouchard's game? 87 points in 67 games as an 18-year-old OHL defenseman seems to me like he should be the clear-cut number two defenseman behind Darlene. Bouchard has a good has good size, a rocket of a shot, tremendous leadership as London's captain, and some laud him as a potential power play quarterback at the next level. Why has he not separated himself from the rest of the defensive class? P.S. I love the Bob Pop. I love the Bobcast, and thank you all for you do for the hockey world. You're a gem. Now you're a gem, Eamon. Um, and the next question comes from Sean Clark, who says, who will be the number two defenseman off the board after Darlene, and what pick? Dobson's stock is up after the Memorial Cup. Bouchard has climbed the draft board since December, and Hughes has stayed uh, strong in most rankings, um, but was very effective at the World Championships. So there's two good questions about the defensemen and uh, things. So, listen, as I mentioned, there's there's four big defensemen here. Um, Noah Dobson, Evan Bouchard, uh, the two Canadians, as well as the American Quinn Hughes and the Swede Adam Boquist. Um, Dobson's a big, strong, two-way defender, although he's still physically mature he's he's gonna get a lot bigger a lot stronger um he can he can play the game a lot of different ways bouchard is a fantastic passer of the puck um really puts it on the tape short pass long pass difficult pass easy pass he makes it all look easy um and put up huge numbers um playing for the london knights hughes is that rover type defenseman he's all over the ice um doesn't really play much defense, doesn't need to because he's got the puck on his stick most of the time, but he's also high risk, high reward. Um, but, you know, no appreciation or element of defense to his game at all um, is the way most scouts put it. And and Boquist kind of gets a similar type uh, comparison, but he's probably a little more buttoned down defensively um, than Hughes, but only a little. And uh, he's got a dynamic offensive game, really can skate and really can pass and shoot and make things happen on the offensive side of the puck. So um, as for the difference between Dobson and and Bouchard, um, right now Dobson seems to be the higher ranked guy. 
Um, and that might be some recency bias there because he played so well all the way to the finish of the season in May at the late May at the Memorial Cup. Uh, he can really skate. He can really pass. And he's got a tremendous shot. He's got The scouts I talked to said he's got a better shot and he's more of an offensive threat from the blue line than Bouchard is. Um, that's not to say Bouchard doesn't have a good shot. It's just not as good as Dobson's. Um, Dobson's very good crew, got great creativity, um, makes good decisions, good vision. Um, and as I said, he's, he's going to get... Uh, He's going to really fill out, and he's got a pretty big frame to begin with. So that's the word on Dobson. He seems to be the consensus number two defenseman, according to um, the TSN rankings. Let me double-check that. Yes, but uh, there's there's not a lot separating Dobson, Bouchard, Hughes, and uh, and Boquist. I can, uh, I can tell you that. And as I said, Bouchard, let me look at my notes on him. Um, one of the scouts I talked to said they think he's got a little more edge than Dobson, um, but that you're not going to find many kids that can pass the puck um, better. Now, I should point out, uh, let me make sure I've got my facts straight here. Da, 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 da. Um, one second here. Got to grab this sheet. You should see my desk right now. It is like a, a, a tornado of paper. You can tell how old I am because young people don't do things on paper. Um, but I've got lists, lists, more lists. And uh, many trees have been felled to uh, generate the paper that's on my desk. Okay, I stalled long enough to be able to get this. Kind of interesting. Um, Brady Kachuk, Philip Zadina, Evan Bouchard, and Quinn Hughes are all 1999-born players, which is to suggest they are the famous late birthday, um, which means that technically they're a year older. So um, Brady Kachuk and Philip Zadina are technically a year older than Andrei Svechnikov. And Evan Bouchard and Quinn Hughes are technically a year older than Noah Dobson. But because those late birthdays were born after September 15th, um, they're all in the same draft class. Um, should also point out that Boquist is not a late birthday. He, like Dobson, is uh, 2000 born. So that that's, you know, that's a little bit of a consideration too, comes into it at, at some point, but not a, not a major one. But still, nevertheless, it should be mentioned that, uh, that uh, Hughes and Bouchard are a calendar year older than uh, Dobson and Boquist. And here is a question about uh, Adam Boquist. This one from Spencer in Maple Ridge, British Columbia. Uh, Bob, it seems to be consensus that Adam Boquist has elite offensive capabilities, but throughout the various draft boards online, it seems there is variance on his defensive play. Are you hearing vastly different views about his defensive play? Or is it more of a consensus? Would it second question, second part of the question, would it be fair to say since he was mostly in the super elite junior 20 league in Sweden this year, that next year he will play in the Allsvenskan and then his draft plus two year in the Swedish hockey league or the Swedish elite league. Cheers, Spencer from Maple Ridge, British Columbia. Okay. Um, as I mentioned before, 
Um, Boquist is an offensive defenseman. That's his strength. Uh, I think he's like 5'11 and a half. Uh, he's starting to fill out a little bit, but he's what quote unquote undersized, but can skate and pass the puck to beat the band and create a lot of offense. Um, Boquist was fantastic at the Ivan Holinka tournament last August, the under 18 tournament in the Czech Republic, which by the way is uh, happening this year in Edmonton in August. That's kind of cool. Uh, we'll probably talk about that on the final Bobcast edition of the season. So he was fantastic. Uh, Boquist was at the Holinka and he was fantastic at the under 18 world championships in April. Um, so he bookended things very well, a real strong performance out of the gate and a real strong performance at the end. In between, one of the problems was that he did play in the, uh, the, the junior league in, in Sweden, but he did play some games for Brinus in the SHL, uh, the elite league team. And he did play some games for Uppsala in the Allsvenskan, which is the second division behind the uh, Swedish Elite League. Um, and when he was playing in the SHL or the Allsvenskan, you know, he wouldn't play the same way that he, he's trying to get ice time and run and gun, even in the Swedish League, isn't going to get it done. So he's, he suffered a little bit over the course of the regular season part, like the non-international tournament part of his year where maybe he wasn't always putting his best foot forward and was kind of bouncing around a little bit and and playing for this team and playing for that team and kind of got out of a rhythm, I think. But there's, as I say, he's he's got elite offensive ability, and I don't believe his draft ranking will suffer. Although of the four defensemen uh, in the top 10, he might be, the I would say he probably be might be consensus number four in that group. Um, but nevertheless, um, you know, still an elite pick and uh, top-notch talent. Now, in terms of what he's going to do next year, he's already signed a one-year contract to play for Brinus in the Swedish Hockey League, the Swedish Elite League. Um, but by terms of the NHL's uh, Swedish Ice Hockey Federation agreement, if he's a first-round pick, he has uh, escapability from that contract with Brinus. So if he's drafted by an NHL team in the first round, and I guarantee you he will be, and he went to that team's training camp and he played well enough to make the team, he's uh, certainly eligible to sign and play in the National Hockey League next season. That uh, contract with Brinus would not hold him back. So um, anyways, as for his defensive play, as I said, um, he's probably got more defensive consciousness or or attempt at responsibility than, than Quinn Hughes, who's very much a, just a go, 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 um, you know, make risky plays all the time type guy. Um, but, uh, and, and, you know, those in his corner would suggest if you look at his international competition at the Halinka at the under 18s, even when he played a couple of tune-up games for the senior men's national team leading up to the world championships. He didn't actually play at the world championships and he didn't make the Swedish world junior team at Christmas. But if you look at Holinka and under 18 in April, um, there's some question as to whether he was even on the ice for even one goal against um, in that time. And, uh, and that he might not be as uh, bad defensively as, uh, as some would 
suggest. Um, also interesting, what I found out in my draft research is that uh, he is dyslexic and that um, that does play a little bit of a part in a role in terms of for teaching purposes, um, conceptualizing and uh, and and what have you with him. Like if he's reading something um, with dyslexia, it obviously uh, requires a little more effort um, and understanding to uh, to take care of that. But uh, that's not going to hurt him in any way, shape, or form in this draft. Okay, got a couple of questions here on a very interesting subject matter, and that would be Ryan Merkley of the Guelph Storm. Um, the first one is from Sean Clark, who earlier asked about the uh, the Dobson-Bouchard-Hughes uh, and defenseman question. His uh, second part of his question was, where do you see Merkley going? No doubt he's a top 5 to 10 talent, but will he slide because of character concerns? Any chance he slides to the end of round one, similar to Clem Costin last year? And the other question on Ryan Merkley comes from Matt in Buffalo. Hey, Bob, seeing as how the draft is just around the corner, I was curious what you've heard about Ryan Merkley. He's a kid that's always stood out to me based on his high offensive skill set and sky-high potential. But I've heard some rumblings that he's got some attitude problems and could potentially be an issue in a team's locker room, similar to Anthony D'Angelo in past years. Have you heard anything along those lines? If all checks out on that front, I'd love for the Sabres to target him with their first pick of the second round. Thanks from Matt in Buffalo. Ah, yes. Ryan Merkley, this one's fascinating, and so let's do a deep dive on this talented but uh, somewhat concerning NHL prospect. Let's start with the basics. Uh, Ryan Merkley is listed as 5'11 and a quarter, 170 pounds on the NHL Central Scouting release. He had uh, 13 goals and 67 points in 63 games. He is an elite, offensive, uh, skilled defenseman, uh, highly one-dimensional in terms of being an offensive player. Um, And obviously, as the uh, questioners um, alluded to, there's been a lot of questions about his attitude, um, both on and off the ice. Now, when I say off the ice, I think we need to make something perfectly clear here. When people start talking about off-ice issues, we immediately start thinking of lifestyle concerns. That's not what we're talking about here with Ryan Merkley. Um, The concerns that NHL scouts have with Ryan Merkley is not what he does away from the rink. It's what he does in the rink, both on the ice and off the ice, as in on the bench, in the dressing room, um, those types of things. By all accounts, Ryan Merkley is not an evil kid. There's no evidence of any serious problems in life here. In fact, I think people in Guelph say if you talk to his billet family there, they'll tell you he's charming, he's funny, he's a wonderful kid, and they can't even imagine why anybody would would talk negative about him. Um, So what we're talking about here is, is not somebody who's got, you know, serious problems in life as much as in hockey, we have an, a, an extremely immature young hockey player with a massive amount of offensive ability. Um, he's certainly been described as petulant. Um, and at times, I think he's made his life, his own life in hockey, very difficult, 
but he's also made life difficult for teammates and for coaches. Um, some would suggest that one of his big problems historically um, is that he's had poor self-awareness and a real lack of accountability that when things go wrong or things aren't going well, it's always somebody else's fault. Um, I, the phrase that comes up here is one that I actually, my mom used to use all the time about me actually. Um, but he doesn't like to be told, doesn't like to be told. No, doesn't like to be told that that's not the way things need to be done. They need to be done a different way. So as I said, there's a real immaturity, um, to him, uh, on the ice in terms of his game, um, and off the ice in terms of on the bench during a game and or, you know, in his dealings with other players. So we'll say in, in the dressing room, although a lot of people in Guelph say that, you know, the other players don't have a big problem with this kid. Um, you know, they understand what he's like and kind of accept him for that. But NHL scouts are not going to accept a lot of what's gone on um, in his game. Um, so what the NHL scouts are trying to determine right now is, is he just an immature kid or is this an immaturity that's never going to be cured, that it's, that it's going to be a fatal flaw that will prevent him from being able to do what he needs to do in the National Hockey League? Um, on the ice, he's got a real cavalier attitude about not playing defense. Um, and as such, th there becomes a time when it, it, it's interpreted as a cavalier attitude towards not competing. Um, and the question NHL scouts have asked me and asked uh, uh, are asking of him is, is he going to be the type of kid who will be receptive to putting in the work necessary um, to be accountable and responsible um, to, to make his game better, to be able to play in the National Hockey League? Because no matter how talented you are, the NHL, everybody knows that, you know, you've got to adapt to them. The NHL doesn't adapt to you. Um, now, those who know uh, Ryan Merkley and his family suggest that maybe, just maybe, that there has been some sort of awakening or recognition over the course of this season and that uh, from mid-season on that the massive amount of talent that he has isn't enough to get by. That, you know, I'm sure the kid's been reading and hearing all these things and he's actually addressed it up front um, at the prospects game, I know um, he was interviewed um, by Jeff Merrick and the guys over at Sportsnet, and you know, and he, and he talked about you know reading and how tough it is to read and hear this stuff being said about him. So I'm sure they've read and heard, him and his family have read and heard all these bad things about him, and they probably are thinking, wait a second here, um, maybe this isn't going heading in the right direction. Maybe we do need to make some changes. I don't know. Um, I don't know the kid personally or his family. But I do know that in, in February, things kind of came to a head in Guelph. There was a, a series of games where he was held out of a game um, in February. And um, I, I think he had a minor injury at the time. Um, but people wondered if it, if it might have been discipline-oriented or trying to send a message. But in any case, he was only out for the one game, but he came back the next game, and it was against the Barry Colts, if I remember correctly. And when when Guelph got behind 3 nothing and they scored the third goal of the game, Merkley blew up and, and got a 10-minute misconduct, and then I don't think he hit the ice for the rest of the game. Guelph might even have come back to tie that game up. Um, 
Uh, I don't recall. But uh, and anyways, uh, at that point, I think general manager and head coach George Burnett was probably ticked off enough that there was a healthy scratch the next game out, a, a home game um, that he didn't play in. And I think the message was sent very clearly that, you know, hey, listen, 10-minute misconduct coming at a time when we're already on you for the way you were playing or behaving, not acceptable. So um, I think the general feeling is that he certainly made some strides over the course of this season, but that he's still very much a work in progress. And um, I, I watched him play in uh, in in the six-game series between the Kitchener Rangers. I have a, a vested interest, obviously. My son Mike's the general manager of the Rangers, so I was just watching the games from a, a dad perspective. Um, um, to, to see if my son's team advanced. And, I, and so I watched all six games. And in those six games, I, I thought Merkley generally was was real good at times. Um, I, I would go so far as to say in a couple of the games, he was, he was a dominant player um, and did things with the puck that were just magic and competed and played hard. I thought there were a couple of games where he was good, um, you know, solid and... Uh, and then I thought there were a couple of games where he was a, a real negative influence, almost a detriment to his team. And one of those was a game where he got a 10-minute misconduct in a bit of a blowout game and um, and uh, didn't see a lot of ice the rest of that game. Um, in any case, it, it, it doesn't matter what I think about him or what the fans say. It's it, At the end of the day, it's the NHL scouts that are doing their due diligence on this kid. And so what I can tell you is this. <clears throat> the questions that were asked... Is, excuse me, is he going to be a first rounder? That's the big question. Um, so why don't I review the um, the rankings that I got from the scouts that I talked to on Nick Merkley. So one second here. Here we go, Merkley. Um, so one scout had him at 55 overall. One scout had him at 31. Another scout had him at 31. Another scout had him at 25. Another scout had him at 31, 38, 26, 33, 60, and 16. Of the 10 scouts I talked to, six of them had him as a potential first-round pick. Three guys at 31, one at 26, one at 25, and one at 16. But I can also tell you this. Some of the scouts who had him at 31 strategically put him there, and it's not for nothing that 31 is the last pick in the first round. It's almost a symbolic ranking because what they're saying to themselves is, this kid's a first-round talent, but we're not sure whether he's a first-rounder or not. So let's put him on the cusp of the first round, and we'll decide as we go along whether or not we would take him there. Um, the scout that told me they had him ranked at number 25 said, we've got him ranked at number 25 on talent, but honestly, we're not sure if we would take him. Um, the, one of the scouts that had him ranked at 16 said the same thing. He's 16 in terms of his talent projection, but we still would have to decide whether or not we're going to take him. So that just gives you sort of a fascinating glimpse into a young player who's obviously immature, but has some real offensive assets, high skill, high skating ability. Um, and I hope the kid figures it out. Um, as I said, I, I, I don't know the kid. I bear the kid no ill will or malice. Um, I'm only passing along what the scouts say about him and what those of us who watch hockey observe um, when he loses his cool. And, hey, listen, lots of guys lose their cool and lots of guys are immature and they figure it out. 
And at the end of the day, the only question NHL scouts are asking themselves on Ryan Merkley is, will he figure it out? If you think he figures it out, he goes in the first round. If you don't think he'll figure it out, then he's probably a second rounder who you throw a Hail Mary on and you think, wow, we, I can't believe we got a guy this talented in the second round. And quite aside from all the other side stuff about character and personality and maturity and everything else, um, just from a pure hockey point of view, there are some who wonder if he's simply the second coming of um, uh, Ryan Murphy. Ryan Murphy, of course, was an extremely talented, gifted uh, offensive defenseman for the Kitchener Rangers who um, who ultimately got drafted in the first round by the Carolina Hurricanes but has since bounced around most recently in the Minnesota organization and has failed to establish himself as a full-time National Hockey League player. Um, and a lot of the skills that Ryan Merkley has, Ryan Murphy had, um, similar physical dimensions. Um, there were some character questions asked about Murphy in his draft year or petulance in terms of wanting to play the game a certain way, um, but not as many as as on Merkley. So that's kind of an interesting comparison, I guess, um, and just from a hockey perspective. So complex uh, situation uh, regarding Ryan Merkley, and uh, it'll be really interesting to see um, whether he's taken on the first night of the draft on Friday night in Dallas. All right, then, let's switch gears a little bit here. Let's get some listener feedback. And the first listener feedback is reaction to previous listener feedback. And uh, the subject matter says it all. Fred Bates is off his rocker. Fred Bates, for those of you who don't know, was a fan who's been emailing the Bobcast all season long, multiple times, just ranting and raving about the Vegas Golden Knights um, and how unfair it was that they got good so fast and how the league paved the, the, the way to Vegas with gold bricks and that uh, Gary Bettman should be uh, tarred and feathered for, uh, for giving Vegas such a good deal. Fred was really upset. Fred's actually sent me follow-up emails, but Fred's time has come and gone. Um, other than this reference from, who's this from? This is Trevor in Kitchener. Hi, Bob. Love the podcast. Looking forward to the last two episodes and hope you have a great summer vacation. I need to address Fred Bates' absurd emails that he sent you in regards to the Golden Knights. I know you read them mainly because they're so entertaining and over the top, but I personally don't want him to think that he has a legitimate opinion. I let the first one slide, but a second and third ones are so ridiculous that I had to send in an email of contention, regardless of whether it gets read or not. Asserting that Batman should resign, all NHL GMs, coaches, scouts, and players off the record would tell you that this is not right or that the NHL has thrown away 100 years of tradition and integrity, or that the Canadian competition agencies should get involved. This is all absolute hyperbole of the highest order. The vast majority of hockey fans and personalities in the interactions and media I've seen know the Vegas story is nothing but positive for the game. He suggests Vegas was set up for success from the very beginning. I would remind Fred that not a single soul believed this team would be above the bottom five let alone a playoff team when the roster was first revealed. The only people that disagree are the no-fun types and a portion of the fans that are still sour that they lost to the Knights in the playoffs. Maybe if you remind Fred that Vegas is exempt from the Seattle expansion draft, he might blow another gasket. Cheers and thanks for everything, Trevor in Kitchener. So there you go. Fred Bates got his moment in the sun, and now Trevor got to shoot Fred down in flames. 
Okay, uh, next listener feedback comes from Brian Bush. Dear Bob, I know you're always looking for new stuff on Netflix, and I know you like military-style shows, so I would like to recommend Apache Warrior, a documentary that follows a squad of Apache helicopters that invaded Iraq. It's nothing but interviews and actual footage from one particular mission Crazy stuff. Well, anyway, enjoy the margaritas this summer. Sincerely, Brian in Pensacola, Florida. First off, Brian, thank you very much for the recommendation on Apache Warrior. I'm marking it down, putting it in my list, my favorites, and I'm going to check that out. I love that stuff. I love uh, Special Forces stuff, SEAL Team 6. I read all the books. I watch the TV shows, the movies, Lone Survivor, you name it. Um, I'm absolutely fascinated um, by this stuff, and uh, I would love to check out that doc on Apache, Apache Warriors. And just as a side note, I'm even fascinated by helicopters. At the cottage, um, there's uh, there's uh, an emergency helicopter system in Ontario for trauma case for bad accidents and uh, extreme trauma. It's called Orange O R N G E. I know they operate out of Sunnybrook Hospital and others. And it's a big orange helicopter. And um, when I'm on the lake in the summer, I, I, I got to say, I'm going to say close to 10 to a dozen times a summer, I see the big orange helicopter come flying over Balsam Lake. And I always say a silent prayer for, um, for whatever the, that helicopter is going to because you know that someone's in deep, deep trouble. But... Um, just the sound of the helicopter, and uh, if I'm sitting in the cottage and I hear the the chopper sound, I'll run right out to have a look. And uh, I don't know why I'm fascinated by that stuff, but I am. The final listener feedback this episode of the Bobcast comes from Randy Spielvogel, um, who sends in a very cool uh, picture. The subject matter on Barry's on uh, Randy's email rather says. Barry Trot's team picture, 84-85. Hi, Bob. I thought I would share this team picture with you of a few of my old teammates. Washington Capitals head coach Barry Trotz was our assistant coach, and Vaughn Carpin, director of player personnel for the Vegas Golden Knights, was our captain. Cheers, Randy Spielvogel. And uh, attached is a very cool picture of the University of Manitoba men's hockey team from 84-85, the GPAC, the GPAC champions. And sure enough, down there in the front row, second from the left, is a very young Barry Trotz. He's got a tremendous duster going, nice mustache, beautiful uh, polo sweater under and looks like a nice tweed jacket. And sure enough, uh, there's the the captain, Von Carpen, who we did see in Vegas during the Stanley Cup final, looking a lot younger, but Von still looks pretty young. Um, and, um, and as Randy pointed out, some of the familiar names on this, uh, team, um, and, and if you heard Barry Trotz talk about the, the people that meant the most to him in his career after they won the Stanley cup and paid tribute to David Poyle amongst others, Jack Button, the late Jack Button, Craig's dad. Um, he also mentioned Wayne Fleming and we all love Wayne Fleming and Wayne Fleming was the head coach of the University of Man- Manitoba men's hockey team. That's the 84-85 season, and Barry was his assistant. So there's Wayne also looking resplendent with a tremendous duster, mustache going. And uh, Mike Ridley, uh, former Washington Capitol and National Hockey League player, also played on this uh, edition 
of the University of Manitoba men's team. So thanks very much to Randy Spielvogel, Spielvogel for um, sending that, uh, that photo in, and uh, congratulations to uh, Barry and the Washington Capitals one more time. I won't go into too much detail on Barry's negotiation with the Washington Capitals on a contract because uh, by the time most of us are listening, he'll either be hired or moving on, but I, uh, the smart money seemed to be on hiring, getting rehired in, uh, in Washington unless things were to fall apart. Alrighty then, um, my original plan for this episode of the Bobcast after the listener feedback was to get into a bunch of team-related questions. Got some good questions here on the Buffalo Sabres and what they're going to do with their goaltending and Ryan O'Reilly. I've got, uh, let's see, what else have we got here? Uh, whether the Flames could get up into a uh, either a top five pick in the draft or maybe a first rounder of some description uh, by trading a, a, an established player. Um, some questions about the Oilers and their search for defensemen. Uh, some questions on asking price on Mike Hoffman and Eric Carlson's future. Uh, some good stuff uh, asking about the Kings and uh, and their quest for a goal-scoring winger and Ilya Kovalchuk. Um, so, yeah, lots of good stuff there. But you know what? We're well over an hour here. My voice is starting to give out. And what I think I might do, and I'm not, it's not an absolute 100% guarantee, but I might take these questions, team-related questions, about the draft and things leading up to the draft, and maybe from Vegas on Monday, um, if I work the technology, maybe I'll do a mini Bobcast to uh, get this overflow of team-related questions, and we'll post that um, early next week before we get to uh, Dallas for the draft. Um, so anyways, that's that's the plan. Um, I'm not going to uh, try and cram these in and, and do them a disservice, so I'll try and uh, give you a mini-Bobcast next week. So I will leave the final question of this episode of the Bobcast to Ben from Ottawa. Hi, Bob. We recently bought a Margaritaville mixer, which has resulted in trying a new recipe on a quasi-daily basis. I was wondering if you could share a recipe or two that I could make for my wife. Thanks, Ben from Ottawa. Well, I got to be honest with you, uh, Ben. You're way ahead of me. Um, my new Margaritaville mixer isn't even out of the box at the cottage yet, and it won't be until the um, the uh, vacation begins on July 2nd. I do, of course, have my old Margarita frozen concoction mixer available at the cottage if necessary before then. Um, and if you've been trying a new recipe on a quasi-daily quasi -daily basis, then you're miles ahead of me because, honestly... Um, I only do one thing with mine. I make margaritas, and it's not overly complex. I I go to the grocery. Actually, my wife goes to the grocery store and gets the uh, uh, the Bacardi Margarita Margaritaville. Uh, so wait a second here. Bacardi Margarita Frozen Mix, and a whole bunch of those. We we've also they've also got the strawberry daiquiri and the pina colada. I got to be honest with you. I love a pina colada as much as the next guy or maybe more than the next guy. But I don't know. I, I tried the pina colada and the daiquiri last summer and it's just not the same. So um, I just stick with the margarita, uh, frozen margarita. And it's really not complex at all. There's no recipe really. You 
fill the margarita mixer up with ice in the top bucket. You take out the bottom bucket and you pour in, you put, uh, scoop out the frozen margarita mix. You fill up the empty margarita mix can halfway with tequila. Uh, more if you want to get the wife or yourself drunk. Um, if we're having a real shaker with a bunch of people, I'll err on the side of closer to a full um, uh, empty can of margarita, uh, of tequila. Um, and if, if it's just a quiet afternoon where you just like the flavor of a margarita and you don't want to get too crazy, then I don't even put a half a can of, of uh, tequila in. I, I, I lighten it up a little bit. And I don't go for the virgin margarita, but I, I lighten it up. Um, so and, and then a little bit of triple sec or Cointreau, um, maybe about a quarter of the, uh, the empty uh, margarita mix cup and uh, hit the button and that's it. And really, beyond that, there's not any uh, any great shakes. I'm not uh, a connoisseur of frozen margaritas. I just like to drink them and uh, get buzzed. So there you go. I'm sorry. I wish I had a better answer for you, Ben, but I just keep it simple on the margarita front. And I am looking forward to the uh, uh, getting the new Margaritaville Anniversary Edition blender mixer out of the box and into action. In the meantime, though, got to stay focused. I've now, in addition to all the other things I have to do, I've quasi-promised a mini Bobcast for Monday or Tuesday of next week. I don't know how I get myself into these situations, but I do. Anyways, have a good one. Um, talk at you next time. Enjoy. Okay, that's it for the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like to submit a question on hockey or just about anything else, email it to bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca, and we'll try to get it on the next Bobcast. Be sure to follow me on Twitter. That's at TSN Bob McKenzie. And for great hockey coverage all year round, follow the at TSN Hockey Twitter account and make tsn.ca your source for all things hockey, especially for the Tuesday and Thursday editions of Insider Trading with myself, Darren Dreger, and Pierre Lebrun. Thanks for tuning into the Bobcast. See you next time, and have a great weekend. <laughs>